everybody, welcome to A Real Simple Thanksgiving. I'm Dom Perry, food director, and today we're meditating on turkey. Harnessing our intuition to create the very best, lowest stress, most delicious Thanksgiving yet. Or we're just going to figure out how to get the turkey in and out of the oven without throwing out our back. Mark Bittman is the author of the best-selling James Beard Award-winning How to Cook Everything, Kitchen Matrix, and the recently released How to Bake Everything. Mark's long-running New York Times column, The Minimalist, helped millions of home cooks attack meal prep with fewer ingredients, less time, and a streamlined approach. Hey, Mark, how are you? Oh, not bad. (laughs) Mark, I'm curious to know what Thanksgiving was like for you growing up. Could you tell us a little bit about that? That was a neurotic hot mess is what it was. (laughs) Well, really... The cooking part was the most interesting part, and it was basically, for every year that I can remember while I was growing up, it was basically my mother's parents, who I called Mama and Papa, and um, they were Eastern European immigrants, and my grandfather hung around and smoked cigarettes, and my grandmother slaved away over a hot stove, and she was pretty good at it, and she made interesting stuff, and uh, it was mostly pretty good, but it was almost nothing surprising. Well, I shouldn't say that. There were a couple of things that you wouldn't have at a non-Eastern European Jew Thanksgiving, but much of the stuff was very much American. And what were those sort of um, wild card Eastern European Jewish things? They were kosher, so there was no dairy at the table. So there was turkey and there was stuffing and there was cranberry sauce, the kind that slithers out of the can in one solid chunk. Uh The two things that there almost always were that I really liked that were totally awesome were the thing my grandmother made that she called potato nick, which was nick, N-I-K, which was like a giant vodka. Like you make a vodka recipe. Yeah, you make a vodka recipe and then you just cook it all at once in a big pan. And that's actually in how to cook everything. It's a great recipe, but I mean, you don't even need a recipe. If you know how to make latkes, you make this by just taking all the batter and putting it in a pan all at once. How do you flip it? Well, that was something that she taught me that actually has served me very well, which is to flip it. Of course, this was before nonstick pans, which meant you had to use a fair amount of oil. You flip it by um, sliding the cake onto a plate. Right. And then putting another plate over that plate, and then turning both plates over, and then sliding it back in. So your basic invert and return. <laughs> it was your invert and return, yes. <laughs> the other thing was called kishka, also known as stuffed derma. Kishka was cow's intestine, and it was stuffed with a mixture of uh, beef fat, flour, garlic, paprika, salt. It's a sausage, but right. it's kind of a very bready um, sausage with almost no meat in it. There's a beef fat, but little like a blood sausage, but it's really a bread sausage. Just a funny thing, but she could make it. I mean, I could eat that stuff until I exploded. It was so good. And I imagine that was like the garlic. My mother's cooking was and is, to the extent she still cooks, pretty bland. I mean, God bless her, she put dinner on the table every night, and I love her for it. But 
she was not a big white garlic user or chili or anything like that. We had one of these little cardboard containers of paprika for the entire time <laughs> I was growing up. It never got used up. So right. um, it had zero flavor. I didn't even know paprika had flavor until I started cooking myself. Um, well, my grandmother, she used a lot of garlic. That was what made me really like her cooking, I think, was that it was high-flavored cooking. And, you know, a lot of old Jewish cooking was very garlicky and sort of spicy. There's some, if you think about pastrami and hot dogs and stuff like that, there's, you start analyzing the taste in there. They have cumin and they have paprika, real paprika, and they have garlic and they have chili and they have, sometimes you can taste coriander. All that stuff was very exotic and, um, you would taste it and not know what you were tasting, but you would know that your mom's food did not taste like that. Would you ever rub that combination of stuff on your turkey? Uh, you know, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> I mean, you're going to ask me my favorite turkey recipe. I think there's a reason no one cooks turkey except at Thanksgiving, which is that chicken is better, duck is better, guinea hen is better. Most birds taste better than turkey, but okay. That aside, you know, you have to have turkey. Um, I've done a whole lot of, you know, when I was doing The Minimalist, and, you know, I was a food writer for 15 years before I started doing The Minimalist, and every year the editor would say, as your editor has no doubt said to you, you got to do a turkey story. Right. And after, you know, 10 or 15 of those years, you just want to shoot yourself. Like, all right, I've already done... Iranian turkey, and I've already done like deep fried turkey, and blah blah blah. So I started making stuff up about 15 years ago, and I I do think the best thing that I've made up, and I don't think it's really hit a wall yet, is the spatchcock turkey. You cut it in half, you take out the backbone, you cut it in half, you flatten it. It cooks really fast, and you can treat it like you know, chicken under a brick or a spatchcock chicken. And yeah, then you could put any spices you want on it. And I do think that works pretty well. The other thing I like, which is so un-Thanksgiving that it's like barely worth suggesting, but it's actually pretty good with leftovers or if you want to do it at a time other than Thanksgiving, or if you want to just cook the breast of the turkey at Thanksgiving and save the legs. I do like braising legs. So either curried or um, turkey mole is really good or um, turkey sort of braised with just aromatic vegetables and turkey stock. In a, I mean, that's really good also. You brown the turkey first and then you turn it over so the skin's up and you cover it about halfway with liquid and aromatic vegetables and that's really good. But Having said that, it's better with duck. So, I mean, there's no way around it. It is better with duck. So, yeah. But that's a great idea for, like, an actually successful do-ahead turkey, because it's probably better the next day anyway, right? Right. Well, it is a good You know, it, part of our hang-up with turkey is that we are accustomed to and we want the big, beautiful bird brought to the table and... You know, it's completely impractical for any party that's fewer than eight or ten people. Right. It's not the best way to cook turkey because if you're going to cook it whole, you're either going to undercook the legs or you're going to overcook the breast. There's kind of no way around that. There are people who say, well, you make gravy 
and everybody wants overcooked turkey anyway. So, okay, if that's your attitude, then fine. Um, it's just not, you know, it's not the best bird, and our traditional way of cooking it is not the best way to cook it. So take it or leave it. Those are, I think that stuff, like what I just said, is pretty much true. And if you want to live with that, that's fine. But you're, it's like saying, I'm going to take this sirloin steak and, Traditionally, in my family, we boiled it, so I'm going to boil it. Well, great. You could boil it, and that's, I hope your family enjoys it, but it's not the best way to do it. And we have adopted this national way of cooking turkey that is not the best way to do it. So there you go, for what it's worth. So will you make turkey this year, or will you skip it for duck? You know, it's a funny thing. It's beginning to look like I'm having Thanksgiving with one other person is my partner, so that's good. That's uh, but we're like, wait, are we going to bring a 15-pound turkey <laughs> to Cape Cod and, like, what are we going to do, eat turkey for a week? Right. You know, it just might be smarter to eat it some other time when there's a lot of people around. I mean, I'm not that bound by tradition, but I get that a lot of people, they just don't think it's right to not have a turkey for Thanksgiving, and I get that. Now, what about... The sides. Let's say, let's pretend you're only going to make four things, including whatever bird you want to make. So what would those three other things be that you'd have on the table? Does gravy count? Because people feel ripped off if they don't have gravy. I'm going to say gravy does not count in this scenario. Stuffing counts. There's one stuffing that I really like a lot, um, and it's from James Beard. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's uh, breadcrumbs, oh. uh, like crumbled bread, like stuffing used to be before right. it became mandatory to use croutons, um, soaked with butter and tarragon and scallions. And that's, uh, that's an old James Beard recipe that I believe I have stolen for how to cook everything once or twice. So that could be found in my archives. I like that a lot. I'm not a big fan of stuffing, so I could actually live without it. I would make a potato nick. I mean, I usually do make a potato okay. nick. I think it's awesome. Um, also, what's good is, a, you know, a sort of Brussels sprout slaw or a cabbage slaw or something fresh, which if I recall correctly, my grandmother never did. <laughs> um, you can make winter squash slaw. It's really good. You know, for years, if you asked me this question, I would have said, roasted root vegetables, but since everybody now seems to serve roasted root vegetables every day at every meal, right. <laughs> I've kind of had it with roasted root vegetables. So. Do you think that's partially your fault? <laughs> Just you throwing know, it out there. I think, I think that's pretty funny. I did, like, I, someone, I was at a party the other night and there was roasted root vegetables, and right next to the roasted root vegetables was roasted beets. And I was like, wait, this is like roasted root vegetables with a side of roasted root vegetable. So, um, I don't know. I just felt like I don't want to see either of these things for a while now. And it's not even winter yet. Right. So, I don't know. But thank you for blaming me sure. for that. Sure. You're welcome. <laughs> One thing we haven't really covered yet in my other conversations is the essential tools what are some of the things you have to have on hand, do you think? Because I've certainly gone into kitchens and there's no roasting pan. There's like a medium pot. So what what do you think you can make do with and what 
can't you live without? I mean, as you know, I'm not huge on gadgets and stuff like that. But I mean, if you don't have a pan that's big enough for the turkey, then you're in trouble, right? Obviously, you need a sharp knife for carving, and you need a big cutting board, and you need platters. I think it's all pretty self-evident. I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you need to think through or you should think through. But I don't think there's any secrets. You know, mistakes people make about Thanksgiving is they get over-ambitious and it is people don't allow enough time. And a lot of this stuff can be done in advance. You know, you can start cooking for Thanksgiving on Sunday and do a little bit each day and be done. Finish it without hating all your guests. And, <laughs> because that's what used to happen in the old days. My grandmother would do all that cooking. She'd do most of it at the last minute. And people would walk in and she'd be angry at everybody before it even started. Start yelling at people before we even did anything. You know, I, I think the thing on Thanksgiving is to just rein in your ambitions and keep things reasonable and think ahead a little bit and try to make it so that as the cook, you at least have a chance of having a good time. Right. Like that you're not going to just hate everybody and everything. And just backing up a sec about carving... You know, I think people have this Norman Rockwell image in their heads of bringing the turkey to the table and carving it gracefully there in front of everyone. Um, I've never been able to do that, and I'm, like, trained to do it. Are you a carver at the table, or are you a carver in the kitchen and plate there? I don't think you should do it because you need your hands. I mean, yeah. it's just it's ridiculous to pretend you can sculpt, carve a turkey without using your hands. You can take beautiful slices off the breast with just the knife and fork. Yes. Um, but if you want to separate those legs from that carcass, you're going in there. You're not <laughs> going to do that. You're not going to do that gracefully. I, 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 I'm glad you you set the table, no pun intended for this. I mean, obviously you agree. I, I, you just can't do it. I mean, the easiest way to do it is just stick your thumb in there and break the leg off. Um you can obviously do it by sticking a knife in that joint, but it's still not going to be a neat, pretty operation. Okay, and then really quick about gravy. Gravy is something that really causes people a lot of stress, and they're not sure why it's always a problem, and um, there, there's a lot of anxiety around it. What's your approach to gravy making? I would refer people, if I might, to the Minimalist Thanksgiving, which I did in I don't know, probably 1998, which has a very fast recipe for turkey for gravy. But I think, let's just back up a few steps. If you make turkey stock, if you take the wingtips and you take the backbone, or not even the backbone, but if you take the wingtips and you take the neck and you take whatever scraps you have and you take an onion and a celery stick and a carrot and you make a little bit of turkey stock, Turning that into gravy, all gravy is, is that stock thickened a little bit with flour or cornstarch. I mean, that, you know, and well-seasoned, I should say well-seasoned. So um, if you have a good stock to start with, making gravy is not really, it's a reduction sauce, and it can be a reduction sauce with thickener or without thickener, but that's really all it is. So there's not much reason to be uptight about it, I don't think. If you have another minute, we can talk about yeah. ideal use of a turkey. And if you're six or eight people or even 10 and you have a sizable turkey, 
you know, I would say take off the breast, make stock with the legs and the neck and at least half of the wings, the back as well. Make stock with all of that stuff, roast the breast, serve that, make a great gravy or a great soup with that stock, and then braise the thighs the next day or whenever you want to. That would be what I think is, you know, a good use of a big bird like that. To roast the whole thing and have part of it overcooked and part of it undercooked and so on. You know, we've had this conversation already, but it doesn't make that much sense, really. Sure. And then before you go, I hope you would indulge us in a bit of a quick fire round. Okay, great. White meat or dark meat? Dark. Russets or sweet potatoes? Well, why not fingerlings? Good answer. Apple pie or pumpkin? I have to say both. Good. Then finally, Mark, what are you grateful for? I feel about Thanksgiving a, a, a lot of the way that I feel about Yom Kippur or any of these so-called major holidays, which is that, you know, Captain Kangaroo used to say, every day is Mother's Day. And I do feel like the stuff you're grateful for, you think about every day. You don't like wait till the third Thursday in November and say, I'm so glad there are people I love and people who love me and, you know, I'm, I have adequate food and a nice place to live and so on and so forth. So I don't, this stuff doesn't carry a lot of weight with me because I feel like it's, it's really my daily routine is to be grateful for the things that make life worth living. So Thanksgiving's not that different. It's probably why I sound so irreverent to that whole thing. All right. Well, thank you, Mark, so much, and have a very happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, Don. You too. Hunter Lewis has worked in and around food for the past 18 years as both a line cook, a food editor at various publications, and now as the editor at Cooking Light. Hunter, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Dawn. Hunter, what was Thanksgiving like for you growing up? For me, it was a big party. Um, it meant that all my cousins were coming into town. My grandparents were going to be there, and there were going to be, you know, about eighteen people around the table, um, and not just for the Thanksgiving meal, but for the the nights leading up to it and after. So, you know, we always anticipated it, and it was a big family reunion. And there was always a ton of food and uh, a ton of wine, and um, it was loud and boisterous, and it was a party. That sounds like fun. Did your family typically host? My Aunt Margie um, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, hosted for many, many years. That was Thanksgiving headquarters as a kid. Got it. And did you grow up close by to Aunt Margie? I did. I lived in Chapel Hill um, for a good while, so, you know, it was right down the road. So, it was, that was the party pad. Cool. And so... How did it go down? Was it like a potluck situation? Were you guys bringing some kind of offering or was Aunt Margie handling the whole show by herself? Margie would dictate the menu, but everybody had their specialties. My mom would make party potatoes, which is about two gallons of sour cream and uh, some instant potato mix. And I think it even had cream cheese in it and some cheddar on top and uh, some dehydrated chives mixed in. She also brought a bean dip for an appetizer, and my grandfather was in charge of the turkey, and he'd walk down in his nightgown on that Thursday morning and in the quiet and ceremoniously you know, light up the oven. And my aunt took care of all the sides. My uncle took care of all the wine, and my grandmother would make all the pies the day ahead. And we had this ritual of once we got to 
drinking age, or probably a couple years before, we would go out with all of our friends at Chapel Hill, and we'd come in, and we would dig into the pies late at night. And like there were the part of the ritual was that my grandmother would, you know, she would feign anger, but in reality, she was really excited that we liked the pie, and she looked forward to us digging into them. How did that experience growing up with a big family and more of a potluck format, how did that inform the way you think about Thanksgiving now, um, especially when you're developing stories and menus for your readers and your users? For me, it's just giving something to everybody, um, you know, under one theme and realizing that there's value in a full menu and there's value in, you know, a killer sweet potato casserole. And uh, the way people cook Thanksgiving and gather Thanksgiving is, is very different. So you can't, uh, you can't push it on them. They're going to come and, 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 uh, and pluck and, and take what they're gonna what they're gonna want and what they're gonna use. Do you guys, as a family, do you roll out the same classic recipes every year, or do you try and incorporate some of the new stuff that you're you've been working on for your own Thanksgiving? For us, it goes like this: uh, I've got two little girls, and um, and my wife is from Eastern North Carolina. And when we got married um, and started doing Thanksgiving together, you know, I realized I had two opportunities to riff. At home, I like to create and, you know, try something different and go off the map a bit. So the turkey is, is my chance to, to riff, and I get one veg that I'll riff on. Okay. And then everything else is set year after year, and it's the same dressing. It's the same sweet potato casserole. It's the same squash casserole and pumpkin pie. And so I'll do turkey gravy and something unique each year with Brussels sprouts. That's cool. I think, you know, some of the readers forget that we um, are real people living real lives and eating real food and having our own Thanksgiving and having our families weigh in. So we, you know, sometimes we make these menus and just like you said, we'll incorporate one one thing, our favorite thing from that year's story. Um, but just like everybody else, you know, we really love that sweet potato, coconut casserole that is questionably savory, should probably be a dessert. But I think, you know, that's how that's how we roll, too. So don't be afraid to just try that one new thing. Now, does your sweet potato have uh, marshmallows on it or no? It sure does, in uh, like a diagonal pattern. So you get some of the sweet potato underneath and some of the toasted marshmallow on top. Blasphemy. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you a little bit about the turkey, because this is your, your one chance to change it up. Where do you get yours? Do you order online or do you just get it from the supermarket? What's your plan? I've got a butcher here in Birmingham um, that I'll order and, and he changes it up, but you know, occasionally he'll get it from um, Amish country in Pennsylvania. And I've got some really good turkeys from there. You know, the past couple of years I've, I've, you could call it dry brining, you could call it curing, but I'll lay a nice coat of salt and spice and uh, a little citrus zest on top the night before and put it on a rack and let the air circulate around the skin and the refrigerator and uh, pull it out that morning. And it's got a nice little, um, you know, what we call pellicle, which is this sort of dried crust. And I'll knock off some of the extra salt. And that that's kind of my way of starting. And then from there, it could go in the oven, it could go on the smoker, but I don't mess with a wet brine anymore. My way to do it is, is dry brine. And can you tell our listeners, just explain to them what a wet brine is versus a dry brine? Sure. So dry brine is similar to what I described. It could be any sort of combination of salt and sugar and spice where you can either go lighter and you can have it seasoned the day before, two days before, or you can go heavy and you can uh, brush off excess salt. 
uh, and seasoning. And the wet brine, it's very much that. It's it's a solution of salt and typically sugar and anything else you want in there uh, with water and the turkey submerged. And it's a great way to infuse flavor and to keep the turkey really, really juicy. What I don't like about the wet brine is then you've got to spend some time drying out the skin because it gets a little bit flabby. And, you know, we all love the skin. So take good care to keep it crispy. Do you, are you sometimes smoking your turkey as opposed to just roasting it in the oven? So last year I got a big green egg. Um, oh. All my buddies had told me to get one. And uh, for years and years I'd resisted. I said, no, there's no way. And I got one of these eggs and I'm obsessed with it. So that's how I'm going to cook my turkey for the next couple of years. I, uh, I spatchcock it and, uh, and smoke it. Uh, skin side down and crack a couple oysters and drink some beer while it's happening. And it, it takes no time. And the whole thing is, you know, rattling of smoke and, and it's awesome. So what time should we be there this year? Um, what, what do you want? Oysters and champagne <laughs> come over a bit early. Um, cool. but you know, we'll probably be serving about four. What about apps? I mean, you mentioned oysters and champagne. That sounds quite fabulous. Um, what are some other apps you might put out? You know, how many? How do we kind of gauge how much food to put out knowing that this huge meal is coming? Yeah, I mean, I think the way that I treat appetizers on Thanksgiving is basically the very opposite of what we did uh, when I was growing up with my family. <laughs> you know, don't do the big cheese platters. And definitely don't do the big uh, wheel of baked brie. Um, don't do the bean dip. Don't, don't have a bunch of stuff. Um, you know, if you're cooking and you've got people coming over, you definitely want to have something for people to graze on and you want to put that outside of the kitchen so they're not bugging you. Right. Uh, unless you want all the attention, you want people, um, coming by. But right. I like to keep it really fresh, really simple and light so people aren't filling up because you're spending all that time cooking for them. You want them to eat a meal. So for me, it's like very classic shrimp cocktail. Uh, maybe one simple dip and uh, some oysters. You know, I've got to have oysters on Thanksgiving. One thing that causes people a ton of anxiety is the gravy making. Um, can you walk us through sort of your fail-proof approach? You know what? Don't do it as the turkey is resting and okay. people are hungry. Uh, make it ahead. I always make it ahead. And, um, you know, make a big pot of uh, turkey stock for me, the key is going, when you're getting your turkey, get some extra wings. If the butcher has some backs, uh, get some backs. And you can either start from scratch or you can reinforce some chicken stock with the uh, the turkey bones. Cool that down. Strain it because the enemy of a good gravy is when that fat, that slick of fat is, is sitting on the top and, it, and it's separated. Uh, so you want to scoop up all that, um, that congealed fat. Um, after the, the stock's been chilled in the fridge. And then the next day, um, make your roux. If you want to do some aromatics like shallots and things like that, that's fine. Uh, but make your roux and, um, and make your gravy. And then you've got your, your gravy base that you can add some bourbon to or you can add some thyme or, or giblets or mushrooms or whatever. But that's done and the stress of that is, is, uh, is taken care of. And then if you want to reinforce that gravy with some drippings from the turkey, that's great. But again, you've got to be careful to separate the fat from uh, from the good juices because that's going to mess up your gravy. Got it. You know, I screwed it up a couple years ago. I made one thing. I made the mistake of inviting my mom and sister and my in laws to the same table for Thanksgiving <laughs> uh, right after we moved to Birmingham with a little baby. Uh, that was the first mistake. But the second mistake was trying to do the gravy last second, um, and why everybody's at the table waiting. And I screwed it up and I was like, damn, I'm a food editor. I should get this right. right. But 
So for me, it's it's make ahead. All right, guys, make your turkey stock ahead, make your gravy base ahead, and then you're going to be good to go. That's maybe the the best advice we're going to get all day. So what's your turkey like this year? Salt and sugar and uh, some cumin and fennel and some lemon and orange zest the day before and then smoked spatchcock on the egg. Well, it sounds delicious. Um, Hunter, if you will indulge us in a quick lightning round. Let's do it. Um, Okay, white meat or dark meat? Dark meat. Mashed potatoes or candied yams? Uh, Sweet potatoes. Apple pie or pumpkin? Apple. Whipped cream or ice cream? Both. And if you could tell us about your most epic Thanksgiving fail. (laughs) Uh, Probably that gravy I was telling you about, that last-minute gravy um, where my wife and I invited both sets of in-laws to the table. All right. Guys, we're just trying to keep it real. We all have Thanksgiving issues, even the professionals. Uh, And finally, Hunter, what are you grateful for? I am grateful for two beautiful little girls, my beautiful wife, and uh, the ability to share and cook Thanksgiving for my family and for uh, hopefully thousands of people that will use our recipes. So I guess I'm grateful for the uh, opportunity to cook more than one turkey a year. Thank you, Hunter, so much for being here. And here's wishing you a happy Thanksgiving. Cheers, Dawn. Thanks for having me. I'm Don Perry, and this has been a real simple Thanksgiving. This episode was edited and produced by Alana Milner. And thanks to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Thanks to my guests, Hunter Lewis and Mark Bittman. I'm grateful for the both of you and for all of you listening out there. Remember this year, let's embrace the spirit of Thanksgiving. And like Hunter said, no one cook cooks the same. So just go ahead and make what you like. Happy Thanksgiving.